there's so many different types of content there were so many different so many different approaches you can take but i think that something that sits at the crux of anything um, that you need to be doing when you're creating content is you need to tell a compelling story um you know storytelling you know it can really help humanize your brand um so whether or not that's you know sharing any success stories um any challenges that you've overcome um you know journeys of your products or services you know taking it from almost like the ideation stage to you know the launch or whatever and even in those you know quote unquote traditional industries you know there are always going to be stories that you can tell Welcome to the HubSpot RevUp podcast with Axon Garsai. Hello and welcome to the second episode in our HubSpot RevUp web series. Um, this is the web series where we help marketing professionals and marketing teams take marketing to the revenue table with the use of HubSpot. Now, Today, for once, for the first time ever, we're not joined by Rob Samuels, we're joined by Alison and Lawrence. But before I introduce them, I'll just give you a little bit of information about how this um, how this webinar will run and just a breakdown of um, our key growth levers and how we help B2B businesses. So for those that don't know us, um, we're Acton Garside. We are a growth agency based out of Manchester. Um, we work exclusively within the B2B space, um, utilizing our three sort of growth levers. Uh, one's our tech department, which helps you make the most out of your CRM using HubSpot. Websites, which we use a data-driven approach to make sure your website's your best salesperson. And inbound marketing, very much what it says on the tin, helps you generate leads through the use of content and um, and marketing, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, how this webinar will run, um, obviously we're live on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot it through onto the chat or the comments. Um, we can bring them up towards the end and you know, myself, Alison and Lawrence can help answer them. So. Without further ado, I'll let the guys introduce themselves. So probably starting with Alison, so you're on the top left here. Um, yeah, introduce yourself to the stream. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Alison. Um, I am the social specialist here at Axon Garside. Um, I've been here for about two and a half years now. Um, I moved from a content position into a very specialist position. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, let's talk about all things social. Spot on. And Lawrence, how about you? Uh, yeah, cheers, Rob. Uh, so I'm Lawrence Chapman. Uh, I'm the content lead here at Axon Garside. I've been here around about four months, um, but I've been in content now for uh, just over a decade. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's you know looking forward to the content uh, discussion that we're going to be having. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for having me. Spot. Well, yeah. So to give a bit of context for those, obviously, we've well, there's a description obviously that we wrote, but just give a bit of context what we talk about today. Um, I think the way, uh, if, if you listen to our first episode with myself, Rob and Ian Guy, but we spoke a lot about how marketers can show value from their marketing activities. And within that, what we spoke about was how the B2B buyer's journey has shifted sort of dramatically within the last, you know, it last five years, never mind the last 15, 20 years, from where it was quite analog in the sense that you came to the website, you found all the information you needed, you got in touch with a salesperson who would give you more information. However, with a myriad of new sort of channels, data, content, content ideas, content, it's it's endless than, you know, the marketing channels you can use now. And that shift has been reflected within the buyer's journey and it's shift um, has been reflected in buying behavior, especially within the B2B space. Um, what we've noticed here at Axon Garza, and obviously the, the trends have shown that more users are using social media as a search engine and uh, using different channels to help research and find more content. So 
Alison, I know we've discussed this at length before talking about how we want to do our social media, but why don't you talk about how, um, if you could share how you feel social media is being used within the B2B space now? Yeah, of course. I mean, so traditionally we've always seen a kind of a bit of a gap really between B2C trends and then merging into B2B. Um, and obviously that is now happening with search engines kind of not being as relevant, obviously still relevant to have blogs and SEO value, but people are going online to search more on socials like LinkedIn and you know even YouTube etc and it's it's mainly due to influencers I think I think there's been there's been a significant shift in the last few years towards influencer marketing specifically in B2C which is we're now kind of seeing with micro influencers and within the B2B sphere and it's it's becoming quite personalized centric, personalized centric, personalized <laughs> and user centric content. Um, so it's, it's more based on who you are, your expertise and why you should listen mm -hmm. rather than I'm a company and I do X, Y, Z, which will solve your problem. Yeah. Um, I think this also shifted as well into B2B businesses um, having to have influences within their agency or company organization that can then have that power and influence over you know their kind of followers really and hone their niche um i know there's been quite a few statistics come out um in the last few years about b2b specifically um one of them is that um eight percent of individuals influenced by corporate accounts whereas shockingly 70 percent are swayed by personal accounts or brands so it really does matter now more than ever to personalize your business by creating micro influencers within it um, and especially on socials and having a live social media account um, because 90% of B2B buyers are using social media um, to engage with industry thought leaders um, and 72% are using social channels to research for their solutions rather than going on a blog or a website. Um, it doesn't mean though that you shouldn't have content online or shouldn't have a blog, but it means that you need to find new ways to get your user there um, or break it down in a way that yeah makes it something they actually want to engage with rather than just a wall of text that they'll probably click on uh, on socials or LinkedIn. Um, there's also been a lot of research about how to build an account um, and how to kind of you know, the theory behind it rather than just you know, you need to do this. Um, this the something called the seventh level of engagement, um, which is essentially the the inbound funnel upside down. Um, and it's you know obviously the bottom, the biggest majority of people who are following you are disengaged, um, but it's the top few who you want to kind of create a brand, an account that influences them on a very personable level, which is something that obviously B two C has been doing for yeah many years, but now B two B are really realizing this is something they need quite desperately um and obviously with influencers it's on a you know a personal level you know this is how i want to live my life and you know this is how i align personally but with b2b it's more professionally so obviously it's it's just shifting your messaging really to say you know it's not no, it's no longer just this is how i can solve your problem it's this is how our business and your business goals align and find yeah. that niche really yeah. yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things to touch on. I think, like you said, I think it's putting a, a face to the brand, I think is sort of the, the trend there. And we're looking at how, um, how especially in the B2B world where it's very it's sort of faceless, we've got, we've got a service, we've got a solution to solve for you. Um, 
it's putting that personal brand behind it. But alongside that, I think it, it's important. I'm going to be talking a lot about how you can diversify your content. So take your best performing content or new content you want to create and doing it in such a way where you can repurpose into many channels, which I know Lawrence is our resident expert on. But it's important to realize this doesn't replace your traditional inbound marketing strategy. All it does is aid it. And similar to what Alison was saying there, because people have now split off away from the very analog buying, um, yeah, very analog buying method of going to the website, speaking salesperson, converting. Now there's so many more channels that people research and find information on. It's important to show up in those channels um, and it's important to diversify your content so it performs best in those channels as well. So not just, you know, posting a blog link on LinkedIn and going, that's fine. It will get the reach. Um, and like I said, yeah, important just to make sure you do continue blogging. And I think it can aid your traditional inbound marketing strategy because what inbound marketing, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of it are, you've got your pillar page and then blogs that, uh, in link to that pillar page, um, to help that rank higher and that boosts your SEO results. Um, by what we're talking about today, you can still do that and it still feeds into that. It's just a much more sort of, you can diversify your content to ensure that it's optimized and you can continue servicing the channels you need to with the best content that's going to perform perform best and, you know, an optimized, optimized performance, probably the right way to put it. Um, Lawrence, we spoke about, when we were planning this webinar, we spoke a bit about how in B2B content is still viewed as a nice to have. Um, and we're obviously all three of us are, on, are under the illusion here that it's not, you know, it, it is a must have for content. So why don't you share your thoughts on um, why content is a, is a, is it's an essential to a B2B marketing strategy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cheers, Rob. So, um, as you say, there is almost in some circles, almost like a little bit of a myth really that, um, you know, content, as you say, is a little bit of a nice to have, but from my perspective and I'm bound to say this, I'm a, I'm a content <laughs> kind of guy, but, um, I genuinely do think that, um, that almost like that mindset, you know, needs to be almost like dispelled a little bit. And, you know, there are so many benefits of content marketing, um, you know, for one, um, when done, you know, well, when done correctly, it can really in help increase and enhance your brand awareness. So obviously by consistently producing valuable and relevant content for your target audience, you can really raise that awareness of your brand, establishing yourself as an industry leader within your respective industry. And um, you kind of touched on it before as well, um, you know, in terms of like the SEO benefits of it, you know, quality content, you know, it's a really fundamental element of SEO and um, search engines, you know, they do reward fresh, relevant, well-optimized content uh, with higher rankings. And that's only going to lead to um, increased organic traffic for your company. And, um, but I think that two of the main things from my perspective, um, one of which um, almost kind of goes under the radar a little bit, uh, and some people don't put two and two together with it. And it plays a big part in customer retention. Um, you know, within the business world, it's not just about acquiring new customers. You really have to look after your existing clientele as well. Um, it's a lot harder um, to gain new custom um, and or, or reactivate churn customers. And so content can also like nurture and retain those existing customers for you and really turn them into almost like an advocate for your brand. And on top of that as well, um, you know, it provides like invaluable data insights um, they can really generate, you know, an understanding of what your audience's preferences and behaviors are. Um, and you can use this data to really inform your overall marketing strategy and make more data-driven decisions. Um, and kind of like to, you know, to kind of wrap up like almost like the benefits and why companies should, you know, really be focusing on their content marketing efforts. And 
you know, can really help you engage with your audience just by, as I say, providing, you know, information that they need, not necessarily what you think that they want, what they actually need. Uh, it um, helps address the pain points and almost like it just fosters that trust between you and your and your target audience um, and you know, establishes a sense of authority and credibility. If you're consistently producing high quality content, um, you, you know, it, you know, as I say, it, it does lead to increased trust and loyalty and, and almost authenticates yourself as you know, a true um, leader in your respective um, industry. And, you know, business is competitive, you know, you need a way to stand out um, and content is, um, it, you know, it's a great way for, for you to gain that competitive advantage and, and set yourself apart from, um, you know, similar companies who may be almost like behind, uh, behind the trend a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think you brought up a really good point about um, buyer personas as well and how by doing, you know, by just by the content you're talking about as well, but alongside that, the methods and the diversification of your content can actually help build out, you know, that those traditional sort of buyer persona when they say, how do they, uh, how do they live their day? How do they prefer to use content? You can build that out by diversifying your content and have a look at the data. And it's a really good sounding board, I think as well. When you're trying these new different types of content, it's a really good sounding board to, you know, ascertain more information about your ideal, your ideal customer profile. Um, and I'm stealing Alison Sunder because I know we're going to talk about that a bit later on. But coming back to sort of this idea of building a content machine and building an autonomous uh, content schedule almost um, of new content and video content and written content. I'm going to pass it on to Lawrence again, because like I said, you've got a lot of experience working in doing podcasts and taking things like Pillar Page and existing blogs and putting them into a podcast. So... I was wondering if you could share your experience on how you look to repurpose that content and how you uh, best look to utilize that brilliantly performing content and, and um, optimize it for things like social media. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think it's just um, first and foremost, Rob, I think it's really important to, uh, I mean, I've, I've been in, um, in scenarios where people have um, looked at this and thought, almost viewed a repurposing um know projects is almost like a, a way of cheating but mm -hmm. you know, it's not it's a case of working um, smarter and not harder and mm -hmm. if you've got a great piece of content and you can you know chop it up into lots of different formats there's no reason whatsoever why you shouldn't be doing that and um, it's a great way to you know get the most out of something that's already great you know why not make something good you know even better and um, you know so in terms of um you, you know the actual content repurposing process you know, you talked about um, podcasts, you know, everyone at Axe and knows how much of a, an advocate um, I am for, for, for podcast content. Um, so say, for instance, if we took, um, you, know, you know, that original piece of pod content, um, I think that this medium really lends itself really well um, to a, pod, a content repurposing format. So say, for instance, if you've got your, uh, your podcast as your source piece of content, um, this can then be um, transcribed. So if you transcribe the podcast using Otter, so for the members of the audience who aren't aware, Otter's a um, transcription platform, um, then you know, upload the transcription that you just generated through Otter to ChatGBT and just use that transcript to um, ask ChatGBT or prompt ChatGBT of how um, the content can be repurposed into an, artic um, an article format. Uh, so say for me, whenever I'm doing this, it's almost like the um, the golden sweet spot, if you like, to try and get um, you know two, maybe even three blogs um, out of one podcast that can work. Um, 
I think it's really important to caveat that it isn't just a case of putting this into chat GBT, lifting it, copy and pasting it um, and publishing. You know, that's not the way that effective content repurposing works. Um, it does have um, that, I'm sorry, that human element to it as well. You know, you need to, you know, you know conduct your, your keyword research beforehand. You need to edit and optimize these, um, these blogs to make sure that they're aligning with your marketing goals and what you're trying to eventually achieve at the end of it. But uh, once you've got your, you know, your two, maybe your th maybe three um, optimized blog articles, um, these can, um, you know, the key takeaways from each of these blogs um, can then be reformatted again into um, an, a relevant infographic. And one thing that I think you know works really well is you can take the key takeaways and, and amalgamate them into an ebook. Um, for me, this is almost like the the exciting part of all of this just purely because it works really well as a gated asset that can be used as a lead gen exercise for your business and um, so say for instance if you have three blogs on i don't know um competitive intelligence for instance um and you've got you got your three blogs and you've got all these great insights and content that's included within the three dive into each of the blogs and take out the what you would perceive to be the key takeaways from that and you can repurpose that into, I don't know, a beginner's guide or the ultimate guide to competitive intelligence, gate it, pop it onto a, a landing page on your site and you can capture and um, capture leads that way. But I think that another thing um, that is really important where perhaps uh, quite a few businesses go wrong um, sometimes is they produce great content, but this, they don't necessarily um, share it on social then obviously social exposure is really important for your business to make sure that the content that you're producing is great. And so um, in terms of the, uh, the social side of things, again, looking at the original blog content, you, know, you can create carousel posts, audiograms, quote graphics, even take the video from the original podcast. So I always caveat and say, right, you know, when we're recording these podcasts, try and make sure that you've got the, the video side of, um, of things included as well with your guests. And, and use that as preview um, as preview copy. Uh, so it's um, preview content that you can upload to YouTube, to your site, to your social and um, to your social platforms. Um, and then from that, uh, include your preview link and it kicks back straight to your site. Um, so just from that one podcast, you've got three blog best case scenario, you can have three blogs, four social posts, one infographic, one ebook. So one podcast can yield nine really good pieces of content and um, nine really you know great pieces of content that are engaging as well i think that's the key to it it's not just the case of popping anything out there and hoping that it sticks um, you need to make sure um, that it's engaging and you're sharing that across your relevant channels yeah exactly i think what i found quite interesting about that as well i think it revolutionized oops, sorry it revolutionized the way that i thought about content and thought about you know even doing these webinars and how you know you can chop up the uh, the webinars in terms of getting videos out and getting audiograms out and the like and you know it goes even deeper when we you know because what we do with this webinar we repurpose it into a blog using some of the prompts you know using ai but then having a copywriter write real valuable content off the back of that off the back of what we get and we can feed it into pillar page it's such a simple way to have like alison was saying have that human face behind a b2b brand but alongside that being able to feed into what is a traditional inbound marketing strategy and i think that's the real real power of being able to take what could have been just one blog there or one pillar page here and be able to talk about it potentially in a podcast or a webinar 
or something, you know, even, even it doesn't even have to have video. You know, it could just be a conversation. You just record a conversation between you and whoever and then upload it. And then, you know, you have that mountain of content you can use. And of course, we know that LinkedIn, for example, favors things like videos and audiograms and things like that. And I think that's the real, real importance of, you know, being able to utilize what would already or what would originally just be a blog filtered into a pillar page to now what could be a blog filled into a podcast, into videos to put on social, to put on here. And I think that's that's the real the um the, the real power of doing it like this. And Alison, I think, you know, we've spoken a lot about distribution and uh social. So why don't you talk about a little bit how, you know, the best sort of practices about putting things on social and, you know, the best sort of content for social media. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we've, we've briefly touched on the fact that socials can be used as a sounding board um, and it really can in a very big way. I think the not issue, but, you know, the the hindrance that we've previously experienced with blogs and traditional um, hard, like long form content um, has been that it takes quite a while to understand what, what sticks, what doesn't. Um, and then also what's good about it. And um, whereas with social media, within a week, you can see what worked, what didn't, and how can we adapt our strategy because of that, um, which affects not only the core, you know, social posts, but as, as you know, we said, we can, you can add videos on pillar pages, you can add, you know, podcasts within, you know, like a blog, like it's, it's all connected. <clears throat> and I think as well, the, how well a post does will also affect the SEO value of then the long form content that you, you know, add it to, like it's, it's all interlinked in like this big web now, you know, your your website is no longer the center, but rather just another spoke on your business's, you know, wheel. Really, that, yeah. that's a lot of analogies, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think you know this this webinar, this web series is really centered. I tr we tried to center it really much around HubSpot, and the only issue, at least we spoke about this with prospects, we spoke about this internally. I think one of the the issues we have with content diversification is the fact that. Like I said, like we mentioned in the previous the previous HubSpot rev up episode, was it just opens up a myriad of new data channels. It opens up a myriad of new channels, um, and you have to sort of sift through them and find the content and the, the metrics which mean most to both yourself, so you get an understanding whether things are working, or mean it for your leadership team as well. And I think this is where HubSpot have you know they've got for those that don't know, for those that don't use HubSpot, um, and also for those watching on Spotify, I'm about to share my screen, so there is a bit of visual to this, um, but. I think what HubSpot has really sort of leveled up on is this this campaign suite. Um, I know there are plans for it to be AI driven, um, but if I share my screen here, um, it's gonna be a bit weird because I'm working on two screens here. But um, what they've got, once you go into, if you go into your HubSpot portal and then head over to campaigns down here. So this is for, I don't think you get it on marketing starter. I think this is for marketing professional and obviously above, um, but you've actually got different campaign templates you can pick from here. Um, which are HubSpot generated, but they're completely editable. They're completely customizable, um, but it helps. What this will help do is help centralize all these different data points. So if you've got a social post connected to one campaign, a podcast, a webinar, you know, you can compact it all into one singular campaign. You'll be able to track, you know, both the base metrics in terms of impressions, email open rates and things like that. But you'll also be able to um, track revenue. You know, if you've got marketing professional, you'll be able to track the attribution right from first touch, last touch. And alongside that, if you have enterprise, you, you can track a whole range of different attribution metrics, which I think we're going to cover in another episode. But um, I'll just, for example, use an email drip template um, 
here. And what it will do, it'll open up this. And for those that haven't used the campaign editor before, you can literally come in here um, and drag. You've got marketing events and you can drag these in. And what you can do, I'm not going to set it all up here, but just for example, if you, if you connect it up to Zoom and um, Eventbrite, I think, and go to webinars, you can see here, you can actually add in your marketing, um, your marketing event asset, as they call it. Um, but just for example here, if you're going to send an email by inviting people to your webinar, your podcast or any, anything like that, you can add the asset in here. Again, I'm not going to create an email, but um, once you add this in, it will then come up. I press save and view. You can see your performance here. So it will show you sessions, um, new contacts attributed to those, that content pillar, that content campaign, um, influence contacts as well, which is anyone that um, is currently in a CRM but has come in contact engaged with this campaign. It will show up in there. Um, and then, like I said, like I was saying earlier, I think this is the really key metric when it comes to displaying uh, displaying your effect in the bottom line is coming to this revenue panel here where it can show you how much influence revenue deals um, deals connected to this campaign and contacts or revenue as well. Um, and it will show you, it will show you all the new contacts. It will show you sort of everything you want um, within here. So you can see that my influence contacts and sessions. Um, and then, yeah, it'll show you um, attribution based by asset as well. So it's a really, really powerful tool. Um, I think the other thing as well, obviously I haven't added, had added any assets into this, which isn't ideal, but you can see individual uh, performance, uh, individual asset performance in here as well, which is really key. Like I said, if unfortunately you run a campaign, it doesn't produce revenue, you can actually go in and see the gaps within your campaign to be able to edit them going forward. And you can you know, create campaigns, uh, templates in campaigns as well. Um, but it's a really, really handy tool. And it's a tool we we have been using. We started using it very recently, but we are using it as well to track our content pillar performance. And, you know, even for this webinar here, if I turn, stop sharing my screen now, um, even, you know, even this webinar here, we've sent out a load of promotional stuff on social media, as you would have seen, hopefully, um, emails and the like. Um, that's all tracked within this campaign. And we can see attributable revenue, influence contacts, and we can go and take those metrics and display it to the leadership team and go, actually, this is how marketing and this specific campaign is affecting the bottom line. We've got some questions come through from the team. Um, like I said, if there's anyone watching live now that has a question, feel free to shoot it through. We can answer it up and bring it up on the screen. But this one is for a member of the team, Meg. Um, are there specific types of content that work better for traditional industries when it comes to engaging the audience? Now, I know, Lawrence, you probably got the answer. I think I'm expecting it. But, um, yeah, as a fact, go on, Lawrence. Say say your piece on this in terms of podcasts and videos and things like that. <laughs> yeah, there, there are other things other than podcasts. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there, for like just for the offset. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that um, you know it's almost like um, there's so many different types of content. There are so many different, so many different approaches you can take. But I think that something that sits at the crux of anything um, that you need to be doing when you're creating content is you need to tell a compelling story um, you know storytelling you know it can really help humanize your brand um, so whether or not that's you know sharing any success stories um, any challenges that you've overcome um, you know journeys of your products or services you know taking it from almost like the ideation stage to you know the launch or whatever and even in those you know quote unquote traditional industries you know there are always going to be stories that you can tell and um, so that's the kind of like the first thing that I wanted to kind of say and um, but I think that um, it, it, it's almost a case of what, like, whereas, like, once upon a time, it was like, you know, people did you know, think that, you know, content, it was just to, like, 
right, we'll just chuck a few blogs out there. We'll just, you know, stick with the ring content. Um, there is a lot more uh, that is out there to be explored um, and you can be a lot more creative with your content. Um, and that is always well received by your audience. So say for instance, if you've got, um, you know, behind the scenes content, you know, give, you know, give your audience, you know, an insight into what your company culture is like, uh, your processes, the people behind the scenes, again, you know, that can really help you humanize your brand. Um, you know, educational content, you know, people, you know, engage with your content because they want to learn um, about the services that you're offering, about the area that you're specializing in. And, um, you know, that may be, you know, an in-depth guide, a how-to article, but at the same time, as I say, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be written content. Um, explainer videos, can you provide really valuable information to your audience about um, your niche area? And again, position yourself as that, um, as that go-to expert. Um, and um, I think, you know, kind of feed into, uh, you know, social for, uh, you know, um, Alison's you know, side of things. And um, there's so much content that, you know, it lends itself to being shared on social. So say for instance, infographics, um, you know, when you're know, condensing so much complicated, so much complicated information into something that's not only uh, digestible, you know, but visually appealing as well. And um, not everybody wants to read a 2000 word blog. Um, you know, I'm a, copywriter I don't want to read a 2000 word blog all the time you know I would quite like a digestible piece of content and it can turn something that can be quite um, you know hard to digest into something that's accessible and really interesting and but on top of that as well and I'd probably say two more things for me and interactive content um, is always great and you know whether it's a quiz a survey an interactive tool that's obviously relevant to your industry that you're in and not only does that deliver or is it a way of delivering those valuable insights it makes things a lot more fun and engaging and when your audience is engaged and a lot more likely to to come back to you is their almost like their source of truth and um, but i'd probably say um for me um i think that companies can take themselves too seriously sometimes um and i think humor is um it, it can I think humor is probably the most underrated tool in a content writer's artillery. Um, if it is appropriate for like the brand and your industry, um, you know, throw some humor in there. Don't be scared to kind of like take yourself a little bit less seriously. And um, because not only will it make your content, you know, more appealing, it will make it more relatable to your audience. And um, just obviously, as I say, just be mindful of the fact that, now you still want to be professional and you still want to make sure that you that you um, that, it, that it aligns with your almost like your, your tone of voice for, for your brand and so on and so forth but if humor works then um, then i think that's really important so yeah irrespective of your industry i think there's an audience seeking information solutions or products so just present your content in a way that's engaging and informative and um, and yeah you'll stand out and connect with your target audience in a really effective way yeah I think just to jump in, I don't know if Alison, you had anything to say, but from my perspective, I think one thing you touched on there was I think thought leadership is such, you know, every single company, you know, whether, you know, every single successful company anyway, has a thought leader within their business. Now, I appreciate I've worked in sort of traditional so-and-so called industries, right, where it is quite hard to get them on a, you know, get them on a call or get them to write an article. However, doing a bit of content like a webinar or like I said, or even just recording a podcast, which is not even visual, it's just an audio sort of podcast you upload to Spotify. Like it's such um, such an impactful way to get across your message. Um, 
and again, akin to what Alison's been saying and banging the drum about all this, the whole webinar is, you know, it humanizes your brand. So when you do share it on social media, you, you're putting a face, a voice to the brand. And I think that's so, so important when creating this content, when uh, diversifying your content, I think the way we're phrasing this. When you diversify your content, I think it's so important to have that thought leadership leader within your business, really, to share on social media. Um, spot on. Um, got one follow. Sorry, I was on the wrong screen there. Um, sorry, Alison, did you, have, did you have an answer to that question as well? No, I mean, mom, I did. My mind was video. I just yeah. need one. It's easy to repurpose. You can put it anywhere. It, it's always, always a winner in my eyes, but that was it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, the final question is from Jay, who has been on the podcast before. He was on the inbound, the first ever podcast we did. Which metrics can you track to help secure leadership buying with content? Um, if you don't mind, I'll answer this one just quickly off the bat, and then I'll, I'll let you guys sort of give your input as well. I think from my perspective, it's always really important. It's akin to what we were saying in the first episode. It's really, really important to try and link back to revenue metrics where possible. Because I think at the end of the day, you can create all this content in the world, but if it's not generating results that really affect the bottom line, um, it's, you know, it, it's not something that's really affecting the business, if, if I'm honest with you. So if there's a way, and we, we talked about on the first episode of having a funnel model where you're looking at different content channels and distribution channels and going from NQL to SQL to customer, for example, just if that was your funnel model, be able to track the dropout rates on that and track revenue directly to pieces of content. However, that's not to say that, you know, vanity metrics, so on and so forth, aren't positive indicators. Um, for example, um, with social media, there are some metrics you can follow which show engagement and, you know, podcasts, which um, if you guys want to divulge into it, um, there, are, there are different metrics you can track to show success and have those positive indicators. So I'll open the floor if anyone has any more expansion on that or... Uh, yeah, I'm happy to to dive in uh, on that, Rob. So yeah, I think um, first and foremost, totally agree with what you're saying. Um, if you're creating content and it isn't kind of tying down to your bottom line, then you know that is almost like where we are when you're trying to get leadership buy-in, um, you know, conversions, and um, that is you know the the sweet spot really. So um, it's really important to measure how many visitors take that desired action that you want them to take uh, with your content. So whether or not it's a sign up and a download of an ebook or so on and so forth, or obviously a purchase at the end of it. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, you know, there's so many other metrics uh, relating to content. And um, you know, I guess we could kind of do an entirely separate uh, separate episode on it, but just to kind of touch um, on the base, um, you know, traffic and page views, um, you, you know, you need to track the number of your visitors or as you, um, you know, come into your content and um, engaging with your content how many pages, uh, page views that they, they view. Um, so, um, you know, your engagement metrics, really important. So time on page, your bounce rate, and, you know, at the end of the day, high engagement, it's only going to suggest that your content is holding your audience's attention. So it's really important to, to um, establish whether or not that's the case. If not, what can you do to go in, optimize and make it even better? And, and, you know, lead gem, you know, we, kind of ties in what you were saying before, Rob, um, you know, calculating the number of leads that are coming through as a direct consequence of your content. And um, obviously really important, particularly if your content strategy is part of an inbound approach. Um, and, uh, you know, click-through rates, you know, if you've got email uh, campaigns or, you know, clickable content and um, you know, click-through rate really, you know, gives that indication as to whether or not your content's driving clicks and actions 
Um, so yeah, so many different, uh, many metrics really. We, we could you know, speak until the cows come home really about um, all the things you could be measuring. Um, but um, as you say, I, I kind of echo your sentiments from earlier on, to be honest, mate, that it needs to relate back to revenue and bring something back to the company. Otherwise it, it you know, it can be um, you know, hard to, to get that buy-in from, from, from the people who matter within a, within your organization. Yeah, precisely. And I think, like I said, I, I don't put Alice on the spot here, but I think that's what with, you know, with campaigns and HubSpot and things like that, you can actually attribute individual assets to revenue. You know, and I, I know um, the, 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 the metrics on LinkedIn, especially I'm only talking about LinkedIn because that's the, the main sort of social channel we use, but can be quite primitive. So actually having that insight and tied into your CRM is so, so important. Brilliant. Go on. Sorry. I was gonna say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think that's one thing that really has been a bit limited. Well, not recently, but historically, is social channels and your CRM and everything's been quite dispersed. But I think now, especially with you know HubSpot and being able to have that all in one place and see exactly where everything's coming from, it's yeah, it's made my job a lot easier in you know <laughs> saying that this has worked. But yeah, well, on um, that's well, the answer to everything, is it? HubSpot, HubSpot's the answer. Um, Wicked. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's attended as well. Um, thank you for the questions that have come through. And yeah, thank you for being interested. Obviously, we're doing this bi-weekly. So um, if you want to join in the next couple of episodes, we'll be uploading the next episode some point this week or early next week. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for coming talking to us today about content device education and creating that content machine. Thank you to everyone's attending. And I hope to see you guys next time. Cheers, Rob. Thanks.